Okay, uh, let's turn on our electronic devices. Let's get our Bibles. If you need one, there's one in the seat in front of you or below you. Uh, remember, we are doing the flip-flop back and forth between Galatians and Judges. Today we're in Judges. Okay, so in Judges, our text is going to be, uh, we're going to look at Ehud. So this is the second deliverer. So the first deliverer was from the tribe that would be uh, David's tribe. This next one comes from the tribe of Saul. Okay, so just interesting historical stuff. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily push that too far, but that's just interesting to know. Verse 12 of our text says this. Are you all ready? Um, and the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You see that word again? Again. 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 What a defeated word. What a defeated word. Um, what is your again? Yelling at the kids? Anger? Needing recognition? What is your again? Being sexually active with your boyfriend? Pornography? What is your again? Depression? Lying? Being an ideological Nazi? What is your again? Disinterest toward God? Disinterest toward sinners and sufferers? What is your again? Breaking your promise to change again? Again. Again. Again is such a defeated word. This text is for all of you who are feeling defeated again. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. It's a longer text, so if you need to sit down, no one will think less of you except the person sitting next to you. Be ready? Verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel. Eglon is called the king four times. Interesting. Because they had done what was evil in the sight. Just for your interest, they is Israel. Isn't it interesting that Eglon and the Moabites are not called in for doing evil? It's kind of fascinating in this text. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites. Remember, they're descendants of Lot. They're Abraham's nephew. So old enemies of Israel, he gathers them to attack and defeat Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms, which is Jericho. So the picture here is they went into the promised land. Now they're going back out of the promised land. It's, it's a reversal of the conquest. It's, the, it's paradise in reverse now, what's happening in, in Israel. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. This is 16 years longer than COVID. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, literally a savior. Ehud, son of Gera, Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent a tribute. Now, a tribute is an occupational theft. It's corruption. It's extortion. 
You occupy and then you steal from the people that you're with. So this is what the tribute is. So they send him a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, by way of this Ehud. Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length. It's 18 inches. It goes from elbow to knuckles. So you can hide it. And he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, this Eglon is an interesting name. Grammatically, it's in the feminine form, not the masculine, but he's a male. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And then the king commanded to his folks that were with him, his bodyguard, silence. So he just has to say a word, and they leave. And all his attendants went out from his presence. And he came to him as he was sitting alone in the cool of his chamber. Now this is where things get interesting. The cool of his chamber is his little porta potty. And he who said, I have a message from God for you. Literally, he's saying, I have a word from God for you, Ehud is saying. And Eglon arose from his seat, or his throne, as the joke will go in the ancient world. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out onto the porch. Now he's in the royal palace. This is a royal, the royal room has a porta potty in the middle of it. This is what's happening. He goes out of the porta potty, closes the doors of the roof chamber behind him, and locked them. Now, when he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the porta potty of the cool chamber. Well, why did they think that? Because obviously there's a, they need a poopery. Let's just say that. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber. They took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Syrah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with them from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. May you speak us back to life again. May you work through the wonders of this text, the terrain of this text, giving clarity to the mind, realness to the heart, all by the power of your spirit. We ask this, Lord, in your name, amen. Okay, so I don't need to tell you, but I'm going to say it. This is a scandalous text to the modern reader. Let me just, my brother and I were talking about this, and I'm like, scandal, does anybody even know what that word means anymore? I don't even frankly know what scandal means that more. Here's what it means. Disgraceful, immoral, outrageous, shameful, appalling, reprehensible, disgusting. This <laughs> is a disgusting, shameful, scandalous text to the modern reader. It's like, it's like watching an, office, an episode of The Office. It's so uncomfortable, but it's even worse. 
Remember when I said that Judges, when we were going to look at Judges, remember I said we're going to do something we've never done before. We're going to preach the two books at the same time. I said when you get to Galatians, you're going to think and you're going to ask, how come I haven't heard this before? Why hasn't someone told me this before? Remember that? And then I said, what would happen when we get to Judges? We'd ask, what in the world is this doing in the Bible? Remember when I said that? Okay, thank you, Brent. <laughs> Somebody remembered. Brent, I want you to remember this while we looked at this text. Are you with me? Okay, this is a scandalous text. You have an obese. The Hebrew says very fat. You have an obese, effeminate, LBGTQ plus king. I'm not kidding. This is a scandalous text. You've got insulting ethnic humor directed at the Moabites, making fun of their girth, making fun of their religion, their idols, their beliefs, their ideology. Can you imagine that going on today? This is a scandalous text. You've got seventh grade boys' locker room potty humor. The king is on his throne. Poopery. The smell. This is a scandalous text. You have same-sex desires, attraction, and sexual action. More on that later. This is a scandalous text. You have brutal violence. You have an 18-inch sword kept on the inside of the right thigh because he's left-handed. And it is up close and personal. This is not a drone strike. This is not a thousand-foot sniper shot to the head. This is looking a dude in the eye and putting it all the way in so that it goes up to the hilt. Brutal text. Phillips Elliott, a scholar, in his commentary on Judges, apologizes to the modern reader. He says, by even the most elementary standards of ethics, Ehud's deception and murder of Eglon stands condemned. Passages like this, when encountered by the untutored reader, you untutored readers, untutored reader, don't you just love scholars that do that? The untutored reader, unlike me, right? Caused consternation and questioning. Ferdinand Deese, in his scholarly article on this passage called Murder in the Toilet, he complains. He says, so, contemplated deception and brutal violence constitute the way in which the God of the Bible and the Father of Jesus Christ raises up deliverers for oppressed people who cry out to him. And it's okay to scorn your enemies and make them a laughingstock while reciting the great deeds of God to the next generation. This is a scandalous text to the modern reader. <laughs> so what does the Bible have to say to itself? Bible, what do you have to say to yourself about this? And the Bible says, you haven't seen anything yet. It's even more scandalous than you ever thought. There's a bigger scandal in this text. It's so scandalous, it's so shameful, it's so disgusting, it's so disorienting. You are not going to believe it. And even as I'm getting ready and we're getting warmed up to look at the scandal, you're going to be thinking to yourself, no way. No way. So I'm just warning you now.
All of, us in this, all of us in this room have an again, do you not? You have an again, and again, and again personally, and you have an again, and again, and again relationally. You have one. So the question is, how does God respond to your again? How does God think and feel about your again? How does God relate to you and interact with you in your again and again and again? The answer is found immediately in verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And, oh, here it comes. Here's what God thinks. Here's what God feels. Here's what God does. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I knew it, you're thinking. I knew it. This confirms it, you say. God hates me when I sin. I knew it. I knew it. This is why you hate yourself when you sin. If hate's too strong a word, think of it this way. God's disappointed with me when I sin. God is distanced from me when I sin. God merely tolerates me when I sin. I knew it. This confirms it, you say. God hates me when I sin. This is why you cover up your sin. This is why you can't face your sin. This is why we don't admit our sin. This is why we don't confess our sin. Sure, generally, I'm a sinner. But with spectacular, precise precision, no. It's too traumatic. Because God hates me when I sin. I knew it. This confirms it. God hates me when I sin. This is why you can't shake the shame when you sin. You can't shake that painful feeling of not being good enough. You can't shake the feeling that you're unworthy of love and acceptance when you sin. There is a bigger scandal in this text. Are you ready for it? God does not hate you when you sin. And he should. So let's look at it this way. Look what happens to Israel when Eglon is strengthened, shall we? Look, at, look what happens to him. Okay, so now we're going to look at verse 14. Do you see this? So Eglon gets strengthened, right? Israel sins again and again, and God strengthens Eglon. Look what happens to Israel when Eglon is strengthened. And the people served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. Now this, this word served, do you see it? You might want to underline it, circle it. It's a double entendre. I know, I know, because you're the untutored ones. <laughs> Just means double meaning has a double meaning. So it means serve and worship. Two meanings. Isn't that interesting? They served him, and the Hebrew is saying, and they worshiped him. And everybody's saying, nobody in Israel wants to worship Eglon. I mean, Jabba the Hutt? No. Right? Judges 3.15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So what happened to Israel when Eglon is strengthened? What happens to Israel? Eglon gets intolerable. 
He gets so intolerable, they finally call out to the Lord, right? So much so. I mean, so look at the fat image again. Do you see it? Eglon, this fat image is intentional. The Bible is not being mean. The Bible, the Bible is trying to communicate an image that Eglon is getting fat off of Israel. Eglon is getting fat off Israel's sin. Eglon is getting fat off Israel's serving him. Eglon is getting fat off Israel's worship. In other words, Eglon is consuming Israel. Eglon is feeding on Israel. Eglon is sucking the life out of Israel. And the Bible wants to make clear to you and me right now, always, God's enemies always suck the life out of us. God's enemies always feed on us and get fat off of us. Sin does it. Death does it. All the multi-forms of little deaths in life. Loneliness, discouragement, feeling disrespected, feeling you're not living up to your potential. Whatever it is, the evil one gets fat off of us consumes us. So we think we're getting love and acceptance from our again, right? We have an again, and the only reason why we're doing the again is because we think we're getting something from the again. So we think this again is going to love me and accept me. We think we're getting love and acceptance from the again, but we're really getting Eglon. We think we're getting an, an identity from the again. We're getting meaning from the again. Give me an identity. Give me some meaning. Give me some happiness. Give me some deliverance. Give me. We think we're getting an identity and meaning in the good life, and we're getting Eglon. We think we're getting the promised land, but we're getting Eglon. In the end, it's only Eglon. But notice what happens when you begin to realize it's Eglon. 3.15, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. When sin gets fat off of us, when it finally becomes an Eglon, it finally gets so strengthened in our life that it's an Eglon, we finally call out to the Lord. Do you see the bigger scandal here? Not only does God not hate you when you sin, He moves Hoard you when you sin. Not only does God not hate you when you sin, He loves you in and through your sin. That's scandalous. Notice that God is not doing an end around their sin. I'm still going to work. He goes right through the middle of it. He doesn't just work despite your sin. He works in, through, over, around, over it. Your sin. That's scandalous. I don't believe it. 
God of the Bible is scandalous. Okay, so what is your again? You got it? You know what it is. You don't have to think too hard for it because you probably again did it today. What is your again and the day just got started, right? What is your again? Got it? That is where God is moving in your life. That is where God is moving towards you right now. That is where God is loving you. That is where God's massive mercy is meeting you. That is where he's on the move. That's scandalous. It's too hard to believe, you say. I know. I know it is. I told you you wouldn't believe it. You're going to argue against it the rest of the afternoon with your spouse or with your boyfriend or with whoever, your child, your parent, your friend. Why'd you bring me to that church, dude? What does God do when you cry out to him and you're again? Do you see what he does? Look at this, verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a what? Everybody on three, we're going to say it. Raised up a what? A deliverer. Wait, wait. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a biblical principle. No, 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 no. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a character study on Ehud. No, no. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a spiritual discipline. A how to defeat your enemies in ten lovely steps. Strike, move, plant, stick. If you really want to get fancy, you parry in the midst of it. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a secret access point to the Holy Spirit. God does not send a biblical principle. He doesn't send a character study. He doesn't send a how-to. He doesn't send an access point to the Holy Spirit. Just time out. If we do look to those things to try to deliver us from the agains in our life, to try to grow us in the Christian life, in other words, like these things can deliver us from the eglons and from our agains, eglon will get fatter off of you. What does God do? He sends a deliverer. It's your life. Oh, but, but that's what he does for unbelieving people, unchurched people. He sends the deliverer and he saves them. This is the church. This is Israel. These are people that believe in God. These are people that know their Bible better than you. These are people that have been catechized. These are people that are the children their parents are Joshua and Caleb. Do you think Joshua was a lousy parent? Do you think Caleb was a lousy parent? I mean, we can be lousy parents. I don't think they were lousy parents. He sends a deliverer. So, Christian, how are you going to deal with sin in your life? How are you going to deal with the agains in your life? How are you going to deal with the eglons in your life? The answer from this text is, 
God sends to you not a character study, not a spiritual discipline, not an access point to the Holy Spirit. He sends to you the deliverer. And not just any deliverer. <laughs> he sends a scandalous deliverer. Ehud's from the tribe of Benjamin. You know what Benjamin means? Son of my right hand. Ehud's left-handed. He's not just left-handed. He's crippled in his right hand. So he comes from the tribe called the son of my right hand, and he has none. His name Ehud means, where's the splendor? So what's the answer? Where's, his name literally is asking the question, where's the splendor? And the answer is, there is none with him. I mean, look at him. He solicits, he solicits sexual favors with Eglon to get Eglon near him. This is why Eglon, now sexually charged, dismisses his bodyguard in the presence of his own enemy. Think about it, folks. One judge scholar says the sexual imagery is so explicit that it hardly needs amplification. It's so explicit that most, I shouldn't say most, many scholars, they won't tell you what's going on. And don't miss this, how Ehud escapes. Do you see how he exits the building? Okay, so here we go. You ready? There is the, the, the palace of the king, his, his upper room. It's where the cool air can come through. He gets the best view, right? Of course he does. Within his room, uh, there's doors that lock to his room. Within his room is his own little porta potty. Ehud went in and he locked the doors to the king's room. So he's in the king's room with the porta potty. What's the only way out? He exits through the porta potty. That's how he gets out. So he is literally covered with. He needs poopery. Ehud's deliverance from beginning to end is scandalous. Ehud's deliverance from beginning to end is literally covered with, and you get the picture. Ehud is a scandalous deliverer. The New Testament tells us there's one who's even more scandalous. Please hear me. This scandalous deliverer didn't just take your sin. It's not like he just took and added to his glory and his greatness and his holiness that he just kind of took your sin and it kind of added on him and it was kind of like the filth that was on Ehud when he exited through the latrine. You know, and it's just kind of on the top. No, the Bible tells us the just add it. The Bible tells us that this scandalous deliverer became your sin. Became your again. He became it because he's going to take every last drop of your sin and your again away from you. So he became it. So you know what this means? He became the worst sexual sinner on the planet on the cross. This means he became the worst chronic liar in the history of the world on the cross. This means he became the worst murderer. He became the worst human being that ever lived on the cross. He became 
empty again. He became your sin. So you, you don't have it. There's no more Eglon. So you become the righteousness of God. When you see this, when you see that Jesus is the scandalous Savior, the only way, please, you know this. If he's not a scandalous Savior, you're never going to be able to deal with your again. You're going to keep defaulting to trying harder, doing more, being better, finding the right technique, doing something. Paul would say, sanctification by works. But if he's a scandalous deliverer, if he became your again, if he became your sin, if you see him like that, that's the only way you're actually going to cry out to him in this area. And it's the only way that you're going to see how much massive mercy he truly has for you. And that when he sees you in sin, he doesn't go away from you. He moves towards you. And when you start seeing that scandalous Savior, things happen. Movements of cosmic proportions take place. Changes may be microscopic, but they happen. Happen. Jesus is your scandalous deliverer. I know, like I said in the beginning, many of you are still not convinced. You still don't feel him moving towards you right now. You feel his shame. You feel his distance. You feel he's disappointed. Even he hates me. I knew it. Do you know who was a Moabite from the people of Eglon? Come on, it's on the tip of your tongue, those of you that grew up in the church. The rest of us, I do not expect you to know this. Who was it? Ruth. Ruth is the great-grandmother of David. The great-great-great, I don't know how many greats there are. So, pardon me. The great, 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 whatever it is, grandfather of David is Jesus. Jesus became a Moabite. Jesus became Eglon. He's a scandalous Savior. Of course he is. He loves sinners. That's what we tell our kids, right? All right, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you love sinners like us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the scandalous Savior. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, um, many of us are not convinced. Maybe we have a little more clarity in our mind right now, but, man, feeling this in your heart, that's a whole other business. So Holy Spirit, do your great work. Amen.